right, Maria Daniels here with Successfully Chaotic, and today we're doing Successfully Chaotic live behind the scenes, and I have Del Hall, and I made up your um, name, Mr. Beer Diet. I was like trying to think, I was like, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about him to really write a bunch of stuff, so... I decided I was going to make up a name for you. And um, I don't know if you had one before that, but that was one that I gifted you and you're welcome. Or I'm sorry, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, like all my friends make fun of me and say, they call me beer fasting, Ohio man, beer but fasting, like, Ohio man, all the big shows. So like Jimmy Fallon, uh, the late, late show with James Corden, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, all the, when they talk about me, they always say, yeah. Hey, this beer, this, this Ohio man or the beer fasting, Ohio man. Beer. I love that. So I'll have to go back in there and edit that to say beer fasting, Ohio man. I love like the, 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 I've been using the hashtag beer diet a lot. Yeah. Uh, because well, you know, my, my grand, my grand scheme in all of this is to, uh, is to write a diet book. Um, and how to incorporate beer into a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. So I like the moniker of beer diet guy too. Yeah. Yeah. Beer diet guy, Mr. Beer diet. Yeah. I was, I don't know. These are the things that I do. And then, you know, sometimes they work out well. And sometimes people are like, mm, I'm not, lo- I'm not <laughs> loving it. I'm not loving it. I'm like, mm, sorry about that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit for people that are tuning in that have, no idea what we're even talking about. They're like beer diet. Kind of give a little introduction about who you are and what the heck we're talking about. Yeah. So um, I'm Del Hall and I own uh, 16 Lots Brewing Company in uh, Mason, Ohio, right right outside of Cincinnati. And um, I've been in, in beer, uh, in the beer industry for about a decade now. And uh, you know, way back in the day, um, when you first learn how to sell beer, right? So you're marketing beer. Um, one of the, one of the best ways of learning that is little anecdotes, little romance yeah. stories about different beer. And, uh, you know, the most famous one is the IPA, right? The India mm-hmm. pale ale. And basically, you know, the story goes that, you know, when India was a colony of England, they would transport beer from England to India. And it would spoil along the route. So they, they figured out that, okay, hops are a preservative. And they would put a lot of hops in the beer. Well, the, the, the people transporting the beer started drinking it along the way and loving having all the hops in the beer. So a very hoppy beer now is called an India Pale Ale or an IPA. I did not know that. Yeah. So, um, so you know, there's other stories too. Like, um, you know, the guys that would carry all the... Um, the, the, the luggage on uh, freight liners and the big steamships in London, they were called porters. And they liked a stronger beer that was more roasty and hearty. So the style of beer named Porter is named after them. Oh. Right? So there's all these little things like that. So I like porters. There's so I'm a beer hearty. style called Doppelbach, which okay. in German means a double Bach beer. And, okay. and Bach is just, it's named after a town called Eisbach. Uh, but Bach in, in German means goat, all these little things. Um, so you learn these stories. Well, Doppelbach is, uh, you know, was purported to sustain monks back in the 1600s. So these monks moved from Italy to Germany, and they wanted to establish that they were the holiest and most devout followers of the church. And to do that, while everyone else was going to give up something for Lent, they decided they're giving up everything for Lent. They're going to give up all solid food. 
and they were going to sustain themselves on this beer called a Doppelbach. It was a hardier version of the town's beer, which was a Bach. So it had more calories, more sustenance. You know, basically they call it liquid bread. Yeah. So I've told these stories for, for years and years, and you don't know if they're true or not. They're romance. They're marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I guess I just I felt like I was watching like Mythbusters, and I loved that where they put something to the test, and they, yes. they say, is this true or not? We're going to find out. We're going to myth bust this. Well, mm-hmm. I decided to do that with me and, and with beer. And I was like, I at this time, this was three years ago, I learned enough about intermittent fasting. Um, I had gone down like the keto road and uh, time-restricted eating, all those good things, and uh, done some, uh, you know, some prolonged water fasts that I thought, you know, this is probably feasible. You could probably do this. Uh so I decided to do it. So three years ago was the first time I took on the uh, the beer fast. And uh, basically, I challenged myself to go the 46 days of Lent and only drink beer. So all calories comes from beer. I have a little bit of black coffee. I have a little bit of uh, just unsweetened herbal tea, uh, all the water I can drink. But everything else, I don't even chew gum, no artificial sweeteners, no soda, no nothing like that. Um, everything that I get is from, from beer. And, uh, the first year I did it was 2019 and, uh, it, it blew my mind. Not only was I surprised that I could do it, right? So I I went the whole 46 days out of the 46 days, I lost 44 pounds, 42 of which was all body fat. The, uh, I filmed the whole thing documentary style. So I, you know, from the first to the last, um, I even went to the doctor just like, um, you know, like in Supersize Me, and Morgan Spurlock mm-hmm. did that. So I went to my doctor, interviewed my doctor, got my blood work and physicals done, and then I did that at the end as well. Well, you know, lo and behold, I mean, I felt amazing. I'm in my mid-40s. I felt like I was in my 20s again, but all markers of health improved. My cholesterol improved. My blood pressure improved. My fasting blood sugar improved. Um, all markers of health improved, and I felt like a million bucks. So I thought there's got to be something to this. That's awesome. And I love that you were that you were like, you know what, Mythbusters, let's see if I die. Let's let's just see. Let's just try this out. Um, that's my mentality on a lot of things too. I'm like, let's just try it. What I mean, what could happen? Let's just try it. So did you have a lot of naysayers? Did you have people going, Oh my God, Dell, you can't do that? Yeah. So um basically I learned firsthand what going viral really means <laughs> in today's world, right? Yeah. So that first year I did it. And had no idea that I was going to get any kind of press coverage. Um, didn't even think about that I could tie this to some sort of a charity and a fundraiser, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, the the local news like came out and interviewed me and um, and did a story. And then the next day, they played that same story like four times, including the headline, the headline news. And then I, that was it. Like the next the next day, I just I woke up to. Boston, Massachusetts, Miami, Florida, Dallas, Chicago, New York, LA, just yeah. interview request after interview request. And, um, and after about a week of every, you know, everything you could think of in the U S then it went international. Then it was, you know, um, I was doing radio shows in Dublin, Ireland on St. Patty's day. Um, <laughs> I was being interviewed by, um, you know, Sweden and the Ukraine, and it was ridiculous. So um, that first year, I was on TV and radio over 500 times in 50 different countries. Was it overwhelming? It was. Yeah. It was. <laughs> um, you know, I'm now, you know, uh, 
I've, I've learned a lot since then, obviously. Um, like now I have a publicist and, you know, yeah. um, and a marketing firm behind me. But before that, it was just me booking all those radio shows, booking all the, the press and doing all the TV interviews. So it was, it was, it was really overwhelming. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, if you've never been had any kind of attention at all, you think that's a good thing until you get some and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. So, you know, did you have a lot of people saying negative things to you or was it primarily pretty yeah. supportive? A lot no, of negative. So, and I guess the whole point of that, like rant about the, 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 the publicity was I learned uh, not to read comments. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, uh, now I'm just like, uh, duck, right? The rain just rolls right off my back. Um, so I don't even, I don't read comments. Um, but there was at that first year, so many people that were naysayers that just thought, you know, Hey, this is a publicity stunt. Um, he's an alcoholic. He's trying to hide his alcoholism. Um, this there's is, so many other ways to do that. <laughs> I, mean, really, I mean, it's like, um, so there was a ton of naysayers and then a ton of people also that you know, kind of like those armchair nutritionists and things like that, that were just like, you, you, you can't, you can't live on beer alone. Like you'll die. You can't do that. You know, um, knowing full well, like I had enough body fat on me to sustain myself knowing yeah. that, you know, evolutionary wise, we came from a hunter gatherer society and that, you know, our body goes through p- points of feast and famine and that, you know, we're never going to get to the point where you're eating your muscle and your organs before your body fat. So as yeah. long as you have some body fat on, if you think it below like 10%, now we're, that's a different story. But yeah, yeah. I'm rolling at like 30% body fat. I can go. A You're like, I got time. this. I got yeah, this. I could go a long time without eating. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm going to hop over the comp. Right now. See, and, I, and I'm really jealous because all I've got is water. So, but I am going to hop over the comments real quick. We've got uh, Tina Marie Trimpert with the Psychedelic Podcast. And I don't know if she's flirting with me or you, but hey, <laughs> Tina, you know, we love you. And she was laughing at some of the stuff we were saying. But yeah. um, Tim said, beer diet, you had me at hello. So here's another supporter for you. Yeah. Hang on and one second, right? You're good. You're good. One second. And Tim, I don't know, um, Guinness, I used to love Guinness. Fun fact, I can't drink it anymore. A really, 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 really bad night of Irish car bombs pretty much done it for me. So, but I, that used to be my favorite as far as beers go. So, and I'm back. And, and uh, Tina said beer buster instead of ball buster. Just, I'm, I'm picking out my favorite comments because they're funny. So, and Tim also wants to see if he can convince his wife that rocking the calories Guinness style is a good idea. And I feel like, you know, Dell has a documentary style, um, you know, I guess video. Do you have that posted somewhere where Tim could use that as an example to say, listen, honey, I mean, this is, this has been proven, proven. Yeah. I mean, if you just, if you go to my YouTube, so look at under Sergeant Dell. So Sergeant yeah. Dell is like my moniker on most things. I'm a nine year army veteran. So, okay. um, if you go to Sergeant Dell on YouTube, you can check out some of those. I haven't, uh, I didn't know how much editing went into something that was going to be like uh, feature length and mm-hmm. uh, it was overwhelming. So I have a bunch of raw footage still that I'm you know, trying to get through. Um, but I, what I, so my YouTube channel has a bunch of you know, clips of uh, the, the, the journey. That's awesome. And uh, he was giving you props. He said, like, you legit trolled the Karens with beer and he couldn't be prouder. He also has a question. He said, what beer are you drinking right now? You're drinking lunch. What are you drinking? Yeah, so I'm actually drinking one of mine. So this is my Soak City IPA. 
All right. And this is a juicy IPA. And um, I just redesigned the cans at the brewery. So uh, I like you can em. find these in Southern Ohio anywhere cans are sold. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm what's known in the beer world as a hop head. So I love hoppy beers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm drinking, I drink an IPA. So that's your favorite? That's your go-to? Do you like all types of beer? I really do. Um, okay. There's, you know, like the only beer I don't like is um, there's a beer called a, a Rausch beer. That's a German mm-hmm. style. Yeah. And it basically uh, is a smoked beer. Right. So okay. if you, a lot of them taste like uh, liquid bacon and it's just, it's too, it's too oh, much. Sounds like, good to me. <laughs> I love bacon. Yeah. Right? I love bacon. I don't want to drink it though. Uh, I'm also not a big fan of like pepper beers. So there's a, it was a, a trend, you know, four or five years ago that you would put like habaneros or jalapenos in beer. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing. It's like, I like si- spicy food, but I want to eat it. I don't want to drink it. Yeah. I, I've seen um, pickle beers. I'm very picky on beers. Like yeah. I'm more of a, a wine person. Like I like dry red wines, but I also like tequila, but Mar- tequila Maria is a whole <laughs> different Maria. So we have to watch with the tequila, but I do like, I do like some beers. I'm very particular. Um, yeah. And I, I was telling them, but when you, when you had to get off screen for a minute that I had a, I used to love um, like Guinness. Like mm-hmm. I used to love Guinness and, but I had a really bad night of Irish car bombs that killed that for me, but I still like the darker beers typically. Yeah. And Irish car bombs done it in. I was like, mm, not loving that anymore. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's, um, there's a psychology, like a psychological term for that. It's called a conditioned taste aversion. Okay. Well, there you go. got that. So you have that taste <laughs> of something and then you have a bad experience associated with that. You're yep. conditioned then to, to always not enjoy that. Yeah. And it takes a long time to get out of that. Yeah. So it's been about 13 years. I'm probably, it's probably like staying at this point, but uh, yeah, I still, I like the, um, I like ambers. I, t- I still tend to like kind of darker, but again, as I can't do anymore, but I tend to like darker beers. IPAs typically are my least favorite, but I've not, I've not tried a lot of beers. So I, I think I've tried like two IPAs in my life. So I guess that's not really, really good uh, scientific yeah. method of saying I don't like something. Yeah. Well, send, send me your address offline. I'm going to send you yeah. some of my beer. I'm fairly local. I can just hop in. I'll just hop in. Pun definitely intended. I will hop in. (laughs) That that would be, that would be awesome. But I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I, IPAs are very polarizing because they are so bitter. You know, I mean, back in the nineties, they used to run like people at Keystone, you run that bitter beer face, like don't Mm. drink that beer. Ooh. And they would have the bitter beer face. Um, But it's one of those things too. That's kind of like, you don't just start out by drinking black coffee. Yeah. Right. It's like you're in college or the military and like you need to stay up and you start putting some cream and sugar in it and things like mm-hmm. that. You build your way up to it. Um, you don't go straight to like, oh, I drink my bourbon neat. Um, you, yeah. you put ice in it and you kind of work your way up. It's the same yep. thing. Hops are one of those ones that uh, it's very polarizing. It takes some uh, getting accustomed to. Which I have to try it because, I mean, you're totally right. I used to – actually, I used to hate dry red wine. I thought it was disgusting. I was like, why do people drink this? See? And now I absolutely love it. The drier – I mean, I just like it. I just like it dry. I don't like sweet yeah. at all. And even with um, – you mentioned bourbon. Um, I drink it neat. And I used to take one half sip of bourbon and be like, oh, yep. and now I like it, which Blanton's is my favorite. Blanton's is my jam as far as bourbon goes. But yeah. Um, super got to drink it neat, but yeah, I'll definitely, I guess I mean, you have inspired me to try it. You've inspired yeah. me to try it again. Cause typically and, I was like, mm. and I'll give you a, I'll give you a hint too, because this happens a lot with, um, when I'm doing beer tastings or things like that. And someone says they don't like IPA, what they'll do is they'll take a small portion, right? They'll take like a sip or an ounce 
and they'll say, Hey, this is, you know, this is the, uh, this, the IPA. It's a bitter, it's a bitter beer. Well, hops have a cumulative effect on your palate. So if you drink one ounce of it, it's going to taste really astringent and kind of strong. And, you know, it's going to be very bitter. The more you drink, it actually coats your palate and kind of prepares you for that next, you know, next drink. So it's not as, as a shock to your palate. So if you commit to drinking an IPA, drink eight ounces, like a half a pint. Okay. Don't drink like a couple of sips. And like, I don't like this. Drink a half a pint and then tell me how that IPA tastes. It's science. I mean, it has to it be. It really is. Yeah. I mean, so let's kind of rewind. You mentioned you were in the Army for nine years. So what, other than probably drinking a lot of beer while you were in the Army, because we know how military guys are. Let's just yeah. say that. But other than that, what really inspired you to kind of get into the beer business? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm half Irish, half Scottish. Okay. So I've always been. Just in your blood. Yeah, I've always been around <laughs> beer. I've always been around, you know, like every, yeah. you know, every, you know, even the. the well, I, I was going to say all the men in my family. You know, I'm, I was born in the '70s, but even the women, all my sisters, my mom, everyone, you know, everyone had everyone drank beer growing up, and then, um, you know, learning my way through. I had a. Um, I, w- I used to be married, and my father-in-law was also a, a military guy that spent time overseas, and he used to drink like English beers a lot. And then when I got sent to Germany it was like game over. Like, because in Germany it was beer was so cheap. It was half the price of a Coca-Cola and you know, like every little town had their own brewery. So it was amazing to drink all those great beers. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to drink that really that cheap light American beer again. When I get back to the States, that's it. I'm drinking the good stuff. And, um, and I kind of, you know, that was the late nineties. And, you know, that I, I never looked back. I've been drinking that, you know, ever since. Although now I've come back around to where I drink a lot of the lighter stuff. Um, you know, like Coors Banquet is almost like always in my fridge. I've not so, had that. It's maybe, high school burnt me out on any of that kind of stuff. Like high school, like, like, like Bush and like uh, Budweiser and Budweiser, like all that stuff. And like yeah. high school killed me on all that. Yeah. If you're going to have a conditioned taste aversion, that's the kind of stuff you want to have an aversion to. Yeah, exactly. It's not good. I'd say, yeah, craft beers is definitely where it's at. And I I love the craft beer community because it really is a community. And um, my company has done a lot of work with a lot of different you know, breweries and such. And I love the camaraderie. The camaraderie yeah. is um, better, honestly, than most other um, businesses or industries that you can find because it's not so much of a competition because everybody's beer is so different. And I mean, you can attest to this probably than anybody else. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen my clients actually drinking beer at each other's establishments because it's like, okay, yeah, of course I love my beer, but I also love this awesome beer that you have. I'm going to go over here and drink some of that. Have, have you found that um, that's true for your establishment that you all Absolutely. really, yeah. So there, there are 60 craft breweries just in Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah. And, and we all know each other. We all drink each other's stuff. Um, you know, we consider it all craft love, you know, um, we, we help each other where we can, you know, our Facebook groups are very active where we say, Hey, I'm out of this mall or I'm out of this hop. Someone has some, I can borrow, yeah. I can buy back, you know, things like that. It's, it's, um, it's a really, really good supportive community. Um, and that's why like the only, you know, like the big guys, like the anheuser Bushes, the Budweiser, yeah. and the, you know, they get a bad rap because, you know, um, they're, they're known as like the evil empire and that, you know, um, that they, they don't have the, the craft brewer's best interest at heart. 
and that's the like the only kind of black eye on, on our industry. Yeah, which I mean that, that that can be said for a lot of you know quote unquote big business that goes on is you know um, it always feels like it's trying to squash the little guy. You know they're able yep. to buy big, buy cheaper, and you know keep their price points lower. And but honestly, you know. I always tell people all the time that obviously you get what you pay for. So, you know, a craft beer may be a little bit more expensive, but there's literally like time and love that's gone into everyone that's been brewed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, when I talk about like just economics and I talk about, especially like during this pandemic and everything else and talk about supporting small business, you know, if you go into, if you go into a small business uh, such as a bar or restaurant and you want to purchase a beer so you're supporting that small business by buying their product. Yep. And then you can also double that and support a small business locally by buying, buying a local small business. So now that same dollar, you know, it's being divided up amongst two small businesses instead of just one or some of that money going to, you know, overseas, like, you know, to uh, or the big corporations. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, that, that's right there is what needs to happen to really continue to spur economic growth. We hear that term thrown around all the time, you know, economic development, economic growth. And that right there, what yep. you just said, is really how you start to see a big change as you keep those dollars in the community as, as long as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, so that's, a, you know, that's an argument for the whole, you know, buy local that, you mm-hmm. know, everyone's pushing. Absolutely. So kind of speaking about that did did last year i know it hit the 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 bars i'm assuming that trickled down to the breweries um has that started to kind of come out of that a little bit are you all kind of still in the middle of the yeah so it started it started to come out a little bit basically the beer industry is divided into um into kind of two markets we Mm -hmm. we say it's on premise and off premise on premise are the bars and restaurants where you actually consume beer and, and liquor and spirits and, and wine on premise or it's off premise, uh, which is where you would buy it to go and you would consume it off the premise of that business. Those are the two markets. Um, the headlines were, you know, during the pandemic that beer sales, liquor sales, wine sales were through the roof. Um, you know, and what that was really talking about was the off premise side of it. Yeah, it was people were going to the grocery store, buying cans of beer, taking them home and drinking them. But yeah. going to an actual bar or restaurant wasn't happening at all. And uh, in my world, in craft beer, the, so if you think of draft beer, right? That's what everyone thinks of when mm-hmm. you think of like bars and restaurants. That was down 95% in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, off-premise can sales were up 50%. Well, that it doesn't equate. That's a huge loss still in the alcohol business. Absolutely. I know we've... We, as far as my company goes, we were supposed to put on several large events last year that got squashed. And, you know, it's really, it's terrible whenever you're having to go back to these companies that you made the deal with you, that you were going to make money, they were going to make money and it's like squashed. And, you know, I think it's, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to recoup what we lost, but it is it is uh, something to be said for really pushing forward and trying to figure out the what's next. And that's what I keep telling people because I've had these meetings like, well, we lost this, we lost that, we lost this, and it sucks. I mean, a lot of people yeah. lost a lot of a, a lot of you know dollars as far as you know revenue and stuff goes. But you know, 
we've seen as things start to open back up, there is a need for experience. I, I mean, there always been a need for experience, but there really is a need for experiences now. People want to more than ever get out there and feel something that's normal again. Yep. Are Are you all do, seeing? Are you all open to the public as of right now, yeah. or kind of how? Okay. Yeah. So we, um, our brewery can seat, uh, and normally our capacity is 199. Okay. Um, since COVID and the social distancing protocols we had to put in place, we can fit about 99. So okay. it's about half of nope. that. Oh, nice. Yeah. The patio can fit, uh, can fit about 50 people on the patio, yep. but yep. we're just at that point where that's being feasible, right? All yeah. along, we couldn't really use yeah. the patio. Yeah. We're just now getting to the point where the patio season's upon us and we can start using that again. Um, but we actually, you know, there's other options. So we're looking at, you know, some uh, outdoor tinning that we could put because when they, when all this happened, they la- they relaxed the, the alcohol laws. So, mm-hmm. you know, an establishment of a liquor license used to be you couldn't take a drink into the parking lot. Yep. Right? If it was the patio, there was always signs that said no alcohol beyond this point. Yeah, unless since, it was an entertainment district. Yeah, so since yeah. COVID, we now have the ability to go to the edge of our parking lot. So mm-hmm. now we can put a tent out in the parking lot. You can put, you know, tables out there and serve the public. Absolutely. So, so we do a lot of work with um, travel and tourism industries, which yeah. obviously you all would be considered in that. So it's it's not only like the breweries and the bars and the restaurants, but even, you know, hotels. And it's been this big trickle-down effect. Have Has your establishment kind of had meetings to decide, you know, how to best approach, you know, as things are just continue to open up more, you know, how to really drive not only economic development, but travel, tourism, all the things. Is it something that, you know, you all have had discussions on and you could give advice to anybody listening now? Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously mold that around, you know, a lot. And uh, one of the, one of the biggest things that I've done, um, Mason, Ohio is, um, is a tourist um, Mm -hmm. town. And it is because of um, one big corporation that we have there, and that's Kings Island, mm-hmm. right? So um, most people have heard of Kings Island as an amusement park. Uh, it was, you know, I'm the, I'm the Brady Bunch back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do have, you know, quite a bit of uh, tourism, you know, that comes through there. Um, you know, I've worked with the local Chamber of Commerce a lot to make sure that we're represented uh, as best we can at Kings Absolutely. Island which is going to be the major driver. And then all mm-hmm. those uh, ancillary businesses outside of that, you know, like um, there's a place called Great Wolf Lodge mm-hmm. where it's a water park um, kind of resort, you know, indoor stay um, where, you know, we have corporate, um, you know, rates. So someone can come in, they can get a corporate rate from, you know, mentioning in 16 lots, go over it and stay there. Um, but really, you know, that's the biggest part is just making sure you're connected with the community itself and, and tackling it as a whole, because if you try to do it yourself, I mean, that's, you know, there's very few businesses that, you know, are, are that big of a draw that, you know, that, that, that high rise or that, you know, the high tide's going to raise all ships. Right. So you kind of, um, so to kind of circle back to your original question, you know, there's two other breweries in Mason, Ohio, we've kind of bonded together and came together as well and said, you know, let's see if there's an opportunity out there, if mm-hmm. it's a sponsorship, if it's, you know, something that's going to get some notoriety and it's too big, you know, for any one of us. Well, how about if the three of us combine and do that and, and do the sponsorship or do the festival yep. that's coming up this summer and things like that. 
so we, we try to help out as much as possible. Uh, you also got to tiptoe around like collusion and antitrust laws, uh, being in the same industry and sharing of information. So yeah. we are very cognizant of that because the alcohol industry has been cracked down on that kind of thing for years and years. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it definitely takes a community. And of course, you know, you're not going to give them the keys to your castle as in your specific recipes for whatever, you know, but yeah. you do want to share the love for your community, share the love for giving people great experiences, share the love for giving people great beer. And I think that that right there is what it's going to take to really that's, that's the, that is the new normal. We hear this term, the new normal, the new normal, the new yeah. normal. And it's so annoying. I actually hate the term. I'm like, I'm taking it back, taking yeah. it back. So the, the way to take it back is the new normal is the idea that we're having to work as a community because, you know, a lot of the, some businesses were already doing that, but there were so many that kind of squirreled away on their own because they never had to tap into their community. Yeah. And now they have to. I yeah. mean, it's kind of one of those things that it is a necessary thing that really should have been necessary anyway. But that community networking, you know, really drives experience. We know, you know, it's a common term that we do business with who we knew, know, like, and trust. And it's true. You know, it's I, I could go and get a beer everywhere. But if I'm in Mason, I've had this conversation with you. We've made an emotional connection. Yeah. I'm coming to have a beer at your place. Yeah. That's just how it is. Well, I also I mean, you keep using the word experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really key because, you know, um, there's so many options now that you want to provide someone an experience. You yeah. can go have a beer a lot of places. Yeah. But what's going to differentiate my, myself from the market is that I'm going to provide you a drinking experience. Mm-hmm. So when you first set foot in my tap room, I want you to feel you're now transported. You're not in the suburbs. You're not in Cincinnati, Ohio. You're now on the set of a movie, mm-hmm. right? So my decor is going to like transport you. You're going to see really interesting things and say like, oh, this is, you know, like I feel like this is different. Yeah. Then I'm going to take you through the tap list and the tap list is not going to be your run of the mill. You know, it's going to have everything. It's going to have the traditional German styles. It's going to have traditional American styles. Then it's going to have some sour beer and some bourbon barrel aged beer and some seltzer and some weird, wacky flavors. Uh, Then I'm also going to tempt you with some really unique, like, experiences because, you know, like, when I I was in in Germany, I spent a lot of time in France. Mm -hmm. And I loved going to Paris and, you know, um, trying an experience called absinthe. Oh, yeah. Which is a warm, it's a wormwood (laughs) liquor. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, um, that was the green fairy. It's <laughs> yeah. for, for years and years, it's got this like mystique around it that it was mm-hmm. outlawed in the United States, which was an antiquated prohibition law. But actually, so I bought an authentic uh, absinthe tower, awesome and, uh, glasses, and uh, everything from the, uh, the, the absinthe spoons to the sugar cubes to provide people with an absinthe experience. Yeah. Because I fell in love with that in France. And then over in uh, in Denmark, they have this really unique cherry wine. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's almost like a mead, which you know is made out of honey. This mm-hmm. this is um, and it's like a mix between if you were to make wine out of out of cherries instead of grapes, because they get so cold that the water freezes in the cherries, and what's left is the really rich syrup 
Um, mm-hmm. I carry that product from Denmark, which good. if you look at their website, it's like, if you want to try that, you're going to go to Atlanta or Chicago or New York city yeah. any, on the Eastern seaboard. We're only one of four cities that carry something like that. So we're going to provide awesome. you with an experience. So you don't feel like you're just, you know, running down to your, your corner and just, you know, grabbing a beer and chugging it and going home. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think experience is key. I, you know, I'm 40. I, you know, I want to experience my life. It's, you know, I mentioned earlier that when I was in high school, I would drink all the cheapy, whatever beers. It was because we just wanted to buzz. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. We all thought it tasted like shit. None of us liked it, but we would just drink it because Absolutely. we wanted a buzz. That's not my goal. My goal now is the experience. I want to ha- to try new flavors, new tastes, new smells, new sights, just yep. new. You know, I want to try all these things. Love it. And I, I think that as you get older, you really do start to dive into that experience driven lifestyle, you know, and, you know, it's it, a lot of the younger kids are far ahead, more ahead than we were, you know, at that age, because I've even got like, I have a 20 year old, um, which dates me, but I have a 20 year old and she understands experience. I didn't understand experience when I was 20. I didn't right. get it, you know, but she gets it because again, like with the internet and you can say good or bad with the internet, whatever it is, what it is, it's here and we're using it and it's whatever, but they're able to see a lot of things and understand a lot more things. And they're able to tap into the idea of why they should really value experiences. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, I love that, that, you know, traveling is great, but that's not always feasible, yeah. you know, to travel, you know, broad and far and run to Denmark to go drink some wine. You know, I would love to go do that today, but can't do that today. I can come to your place. I'm in Southern Ohio too. So I love that you're offering, you know, lots of experiences that somebody can't find out of their, in their normal, you know, area typically. Yeah. You know, I, I learned that years ago. Um, I've always, I've always had a charitable aspect um, and a fee, I feel like a, a need to serve. Yeah. Right. So I've always felt like I need to give back. I need to serve. You know, I feel very fortunate that I, I do what I love. And um, I learned that years ago when people were always, you know, um, talking about uh, charity raffles and silent auctions and things mm-hmm. like that. Then and the best thing that sells and the, the, the biggest draw is going to be an experience. Yeah. You know, years yeah. ago I, when I lived in um, I lived in Columbus, I was um, um, I was on the board of the American Cancer Society. And uh, we did a big um, fundraiser out of the Wexners. They, they, they own the limited corporation. Les mm-hmm. Wexner owns yeah. limited. Yeah. We had a fundraiser on his uh, property. And we ran a, um, we called it the Cattle Barons Ball. And we basically, it was a, a charity um, casino for the night. And literally, that, that in itself was an experience. And then everything that we offered for the silent auctions and things like that were experiences. If you had something that was just, you know, a material thing, um, it got little play. But if you offered an experience, that's what people wanted. Absolutely. We talk about that all the time. You know, my company specializes in and experiences because we we specialize in emotional driven marketing. So like people most people are emotional buyers. And the reason experiences work is because we buy with our emotions. Think about the things even on like Facebook, like we're streaming to Facebook right now. The things that we react to is going to be something funny or something inspirational or something sad or, you know, whatever. It's going to always be tied back to an emotion. And that's why experiences are so important is it's so much more than the beer you drink. It's the experience around you that's created. It's the emotion that you feel when you're drinking that beer or when you're talking with your friend or when you're sitting with your lover or whatever the case may be, you know, it's that, that feeling, that emotion. And that's why, 
you know, experiences are king in my opinion. And that's, that's the reason why, you know, places like your establishment are so important to, you know, not only travel and tourism, but obviously to every, every household within there, because, you know, as people start to really, this minimalist like mindset has become very, very popular. People are not thrilled with the stuff that's much anymore. We're like, forget the stuff. I'm like that. If it doesn't spark joy. Exactly. So what sparks joy experiences. So, you know, we're all kind of shedding off the stuff that hasn't been serving us, but what always serves is the experience. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's literally when that's what I try to, to, you know, to provide is an experience. Absolutely. And I have not been to your place, but I'm definitely coming. You sold me on it. Cause I'm like, heck yeah. You, you've listed about five things that I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I didn't even tell I'm going to be coming there. Selection oh, and our see there. Flights. Six. I do a bourbon night. Go. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm a Southern Ohio boy and yeah. through and through and I, you know, we're right on the tip here of the bourbon trail. Yeah. So, you know, my dad was from Kentucky. I was raised on bourbon. So, yeah. um, yeah, we have a, a pretty good selection there at 16 lots as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, um, do you have Blanton's? Blanton's is my favorite. I'm willing to try <laughs> others. Right now it's very hard to get. Blanton's. It is hard to get. I have some and I feel like, Oh, we get it yeah. occasionally, you know, we get it yeah. occasionally. I, I'm surprised. It's funny. Um, back when I started loving, it wasn't that hard to get Blanton's. No. When I started loving it, it was like, it was like, whatever, just ordering bourbons. I'm going sure. to pick up plans, you know, but now it is, I, I was surprised. I already had some, so I wasn't looking for it. And I had somebody come over and I gave them, they're like, oh my God, plans. And I also, at Thanksgiving, I was making a bourbon chocolate pecan pie. And people are like, you're using Blance for it. And I'm like, yeah, because I like the flavor. I didn't realize it was like so yeah. hard to get at that point. Because I usually buy a bunch of bottles at one time. So I've had it, you know, for a while. Yeah. So I didn't realize. I said, I mean, <laughs> since I was, you know, I was raised on bourbon, you know, being yeah. a Kentucky family. And, um, you know, I, I, back in the 90s, I used to, I mean, this is this is a weird flex, but I used to just stop uh, to my weekly like poker game and buy yeah. a bottle of Pappy yeah. and take it to my weekly game. We would the, all the, we would drink it the whole thing. You know, it was forty bucks. Yeah, we drink it that night playing poker, and then just next week, just stop at the liquor store and get another one. Yep, it's it's funny these things that become like, wait, what? It's worth. I mean, it's good. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I mean, I guess that's why you can't hardly find it. But I honestly didn't realize until I opened my last bottle, and so I was like, "Good luck getting another one." I'm like, what do you mean? I had, I had no clue. I had zero clue that yeah. it was so hard to get right now. Um, so I'm kind of sad, and I'm already having to look because I have opened my last bottle, and if I run right. out, bad things are going to happen. It's going to be bad. So what, what is your favorite? Like if you have, if somebody was coming to um, your, your place and they're like, okay, I'm not a big beer drinker mm-hmm. and this, somebody might be me, but I'm not a big beer drinker. What do you recommend? So the first thing I always say is if someone says that I say, um, do you like sour beer? And by sour beer, I mean, not traditional beer. So okay. sour beer doesn't mean that it has to be like sour, like puckering sour. It could be something super fruity. We consider that those sour beers as well. So it could just be that, you know, if you're a wine drinker, you're mm-hmm. probably going to like a, a sour beer. It, it might be, it's not like a big dry red, like a cab or something, but like someone that, you know, likes a Moscato mm-hmm. or something on the fruity side. Um, that definitely is the style that I start with because they're just pleasantly tart. They're not yeah. necessarily sour. Yeah. That's just what we call them. 
I, I typically, I, I, just to give you some example, like I said, I used to like Guinness, but I, um, have liked a lot of ambers. I typically have always gone with darker. Yeah. I have, there's been a couple of stouts I like too. Typically yeah. darker beers is what I've always kind of gravitated towards when I drink beer. Yeah. But we have, so like on tap right now, I have a, um, I have a French toast porter. Mm, so someone that says like, you know, I'm like, well, do you like sweet things? Because this thing can, can be cloyingly sweet. Mm. It's basically, it's a, it's a very nice English porter. But then it's also brewed with maple syrup with vanilla and cinnamon. Hmm. So you can put that in front of someone. They can smell it. They, the, the aroma is maple syrup. And then when they taste it, you get the maple syrup right away. But it, it finishes and you taste the vanilla and the cinnamon. So someone awesome. that's not a beer drinker would never yeah. expect that. They, that you know, like they can have that's that very experience. unique. Yeah, yeah, that's very unique. I love that. Yeah. So what's your favorite beer that you have right now? Oh man, um, I, I like a good like German Pilsner. Okay. So we have a beer called the Major, and that's what I drink the most of. And it's just like a really so like um, Miller Light and things okay. like that. Those are Pilsners. Okay. Um, they're just a lighter version of that. Uh, ours is a very traditional, you know, five point two percent German Pilsner, all German ingredients, very light on the hops, but just enough hops where it kind of gives you that that dry finish. So you're just like want to drink another drink another drink. I- I just wonder if that's not what I, cause I like dry. I just oh, wonder yeah. if that's not what I would like. Yeah. A nice pilsner like that would be, would be great. Um, and then I have a hard stop at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I was, um, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned the, the charity fundraiser. Go ahead and do that real quick. This year. So um, this year I started um, Sergeant Dell's virtual tip jar. And that is uh, you can Google it. You can, it's a, it's a GoFundMe. but basically um, all the press and notoriety that I get with the beer fast um, I try to do something charitable with that. Absolutely. So um, because the pandemic hit, you know, 90% of my friends and family so hard last year, I decided to raise funds for the um, Southern Ohio um, bars and restaurant workers and also mm-hmm. Northern Kentucky. So yeah. um, 100% of the funds I raise go directly to, um, you know, the, the workers uh, that are, you know, counting on those tips and all this this business that has been cut out from under them. Um, and right now I'm a little over $12,000. So, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm over halfway today That's is awesome. uh, day 28 of, of my fast and, uh, I'm down just under 30 pounds. That's awesome. So people can follow along on Instagram at Sergeant Dell, and they can also, uh, donate at Sergeant Dell's virtual tip jar. And all that money is going to go to the bars and restaurants at the end of Lent. Which is so needed, and I love that yeah. you're doing that. So make sure you check out um, on Instagram. I'll make sure, and I'll put the links in the comments when we get off here, too. And for everybody that's listening, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. You can catch the replay on our Facebook page, Successfully Chaotic, and also our YouTube channel, Successfully Chaotic. Yeah. And until next time, thanks a lot. Awesome. Questions I don't have answers, clearly no manners, baby. I, I know you want it better, putting on the pressure.